the we're going family style deal. Because I want a bite of your Big Mac. And I need some of your quarter pound. I'll try your filet of fish. There's a deal for every friend group at McDonald's. Order any two classics for just six bucks. Price of participation may vary. Single item at regular price cannot be combined with any other offer. So I was watching the X-Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. SIMULTV.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about SIMULTV.com. SIMULTV.com. Welcome everyone to Too Good to Be True. Thank you for taking the time to listen. The subject for today's show is infamous witch trials. Before we start getting into details, let's just briefly talk about psychic insight and how we apply it. We choose a subject and research it, and based on that research, we determine what we think needs to be explained by creating a series of questions. Then Justina provides psychic insight to answer those questions. The psychic insight is narrated towards the end of the show. Accepting the psychic insight is a question of individual belief. Now let's go through the disclaimers. Here are the disclaimers. Neither of us claim to have any expertise in any subjects that we discuss. We relate information we find through research and the psychic insight. We are always delighted to hear from the listeners. The show only lasts an hour. We don't have the time to present exhaustive research on any topic. This means that there will be information that we miss. We want to provide a basis for the psychic insight. We don't care if a theory turns out too good to be true as the show name suggests. We are only interested in finding out more of the truth about topics. Spirit can only relate insight that is appropriate for our time in history. Free will cannot be affected. Only comments that are appropriate for our time can be given through the psychic insight. Much of the subject matter in shows may have already been covered many times in other media. We want to look into subjects in a new, different way and be thought-provoking. We are not so good with pronouncing names we apologize. And neither of us have any particular knowledge of alleged witches, witchcraft, organized religion, or of historical events. If we have misstated anything, we apologize. Today's subject is your idea, but we're not going to talk about the trials of unpleasant-looking female characters wearing black cloaks and pointy hats with broomsticks for transport. I'm curious how many women have been tortured and put to death based on being labeled as witches. So briefly, what is the history of witches? Apparently, tens of thousands accused of witchcraft have been put to death. But let's start with modern witches. Here is a definition from the Wicca website for a practitioner of Wicca, a pagan religion based on nature. Quote, a practitioner of folk magic, particularly that kind relating to herbs, stones, colors, wells, rivers, etc. It is used by some Wiccans to describe themselves. This term has nothing to do with Satanism, unquote. There's nothing sinister or evil about that definition. 
But what is a more medieval definition that could have been used as a label? Dictionary.com provides a general definition. Quote, a woman is supposed to have evil. Sorry, I'll start again. A woman who is supposed to have evil or wicked magical powers. Unquote. I think that the supposed to have phrase may be a key part of the definition. But let's start with the Salem witch trials. The following overview is from Wikipedia. Quote, the Salem witch trials were a series of hearings and prosecutions of people accused of witchcraft in colonial Massachusetts between February of, 19, of 1692 and May of 1693. More than 200 people were accused, 19 of whom were found guilty and executed by hanging, 14 women and five men. One other man, Giles Corey, was pressed to death for refusing to plead, and at least five people died in jail. It was the deadliest witch hunt in the history of the United States. Twelve other women had previously been executed in Massachusetts and Connecticut during the 17th century. Despite being generally known as the Salem Witch Trials, the preliminary hearings in 1692 were conducted in several towns, Salem Village, now Danvers, Salem Town, Ipswich and Andover. The most infamous trials were conducted by the court of Oyer and Terminer in 1692 in Salem Town. Unquote. Oyer and Terminer means to hear and to determine. Had there always been a fear of witches? The British newspaper, The Guardian, in an article from January this year, provides a new interesting perspective with witches not always being feared. Here's part of the article. Quote, their appearance was all the more strange because between 900 and 1400, the Christian authorities had refused to acknowledge that witches existed, let alone try someone for the crime of being one. This was despite the fact that the belief in witches was so common in medieval Europe. And in 1258, Pope Alexander IV had to issue a canon to prevent prosecutions, unquote. That sounds like a sensible approach. Yes, the article continues. Quote, but by 1550, Christian authorities had reversed their position, leading to a witch hunt across Christendom. Many explanations have been advanced for what drove the phenomenon. Now, new research suggests that there is an economic explanation, one that has relevance to the modern day. Economists Peter Leeson and Jacob Russ of George Mason University in Virginia argue that the trials reflected non-price competition between the Catholic and Protestant churches for religious market share. As competing Catholic and Protestant churches vied to win over or retain their followers, they needed to make an impact and which trials were the battleground they chose, or as the two academics put it in their paper to be published in the new edition of the Economic Journal, leveraging popular belief in witchcraft, which prosecutors advertise their confessional brands, commitment and power to protect citizens from worldly manifestations of Satan's evil. They reached their conclusion after drawing on analyses of new data covering more than 43,000 people tried for witchcraft in 21 European countries." Unquote. So the economists are, are saying that by making the people more fearful, then they will get more followers. Yes, that's how I understand it. The argument in the article is that witch hunts were apparently born out of competition. Here is more from the article. Quote, the data shows that witch hunts took off only after the Reformation in 1517, following the rapid spread of Protestantism. 
Leeson and Russ argue that for the first time in history, the Reformation presented large numbers of Christians with a religious choice. Stick with the old church or switch to the new one. And when churchgoers have religious choice, churches must compete, they say. The phenomenon reached its zenith between 1555 and 1650, the years when there was peak competition for Christian consumers, evidenced by the Catholic Counter-Reformation, during which Catholic officials pushed back against Protestant successes in converting Catholics to the new ways of worshipping throughout much of Europe. The new analysis suggests that the witch craze was most intense where Catholic-Protestant rivalry was strongest. Rich churches picked key regional backgrounds, they say, much like the Democrat and Republican parties in the U.S. now focus on key states during the, pres the presidential election, unquote. Weren't the people in the colonies mainly Puritans? How or why did the witch hunts end? Apparently, the colonists were mainly Puritans, but also included Catholics, Lutherans, and, of course, Quakers. The article reached its conclusion through, its, through religious conflict and competition ending. Quote, by around 1650, however, the witch frenzy began its precipitous decline, with prosecutions for witchcraft virtually vanishing by 1700. Leeson and Russ attribute this to the Peace of Westphalia, a series of treaties in 1648, which brought a, to a, brought a close to the Thirty Years' War and ended decades of religious warfare in Europe. But the use of terror to impress a message on the population has not abated, they suggest. The phenomenon we document use, using public trials to advertise superior power along some dimension as a competitive strategy is much broader than the prosecution of witches in early modern Europe. Leeson says, it appears in different forms elsewhere in the world, at least as far back as the 9th century, all the way up to the 20th, and Stalin's show trials in the Soviet Union, unquote. So the Salem witch trials were at the end of the period when witches were persecuted. But how did it all start in Massachusetts? The History Channel website provides details. Quote, in January 1692, Nine-year-old Elizabeth Betty Paris and 11-year-old Abigail Williams, the daughter and niece of Samuel Paris, minister of Salem Village, began having fits, including violent contortions and uncontrollable outbursts of screaming. After a local doctor, William Griggs, diagnosed bewitchment, other young girls in the community began to exhibit similar symptoms, including Anne Putnam Jr., Mercy Lewis, Elizabeth Hubbard, Mary Walcott, and Mary Warren. In late February, arrest warrants were issued for the, Paris the Paris's Caribbean slave Tituba, along with two other women, the homeless beggar Sarah Good and the poor elderly Sarah Osborne, whom the girls accused of bewitching them, unquote. Is there a modern medical explanation for the fits, including violent contortions and uncontrollable outbursts of screaming? Yes, multiple sources report the work of Linda Caporell, including the Country Living website, an article from 2016. In 1976, behavioral scientist Linda Caporell first suggested the theory. Caporell pointed out how the summer of 1691 had been terribly rainy and wet. A type of fungus, ergot, is supposed to have grown on the rye, a staple crop of the community, which was later eaten by the area residents. Ergot is a hallucinogenic, LSD is derived from the substance, and Caporell suggested the girls who believed, that, who believed they were being taunted by witches were actually under the effects of a common grain fungus. 
the grain fungus was so common in both America and Europe that people long thought it was part of the plant, says George Wong, an associate professor of botany at the University of Hawaii. They didn't think anything about grinding up grinding up the fungus and put it in bread, Wong says. Caffarel first suggested the Salem witch trial accusers were suffering from convulsive ergotism. According to Wong, convulsive, convulsive I'm sorry, ergotism affects the nervous system. You're getting fits, muscle spasms, hallucinations, and delusions, he says, unquote. We'll have to continue discussing infamous witch trials after this short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. McConnell here presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God, It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Whether you're a skeptic or a believer, join me, Rob McConnell, as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the Exxon Radio TV show on XZBN and the Exxon TV channel on Simul TV. Since 1990, the Exxon Radio TV show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. Together, we'll investigate UFOs, aliens, ghosts, Bigfoot, psychic phenomena, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, Exxon Radio TV. For more information on the Exxon Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.exxoneradiotv.com 
or www.xzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation. Keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. to be true and before the break we are talking about a possible source of what the weird explanation for behavior was the fungus from grain called ergot so Betty Paris and Abigail Williams were probably just under the influence of a naturally created drug the number of accused grew in April of 1692 with 20 more including the Reverend George Burroughs being added to the list the hysteria grew as some of the accused admitted being witches with some informing on others. At least the first three on trial, one in court, exhibited the same symptoms that had got them accused in the first place. Again, this may, this may have been down to fungus on the harvested grain, and presumably they would not have changed their diet. How did the hysteria end? Public support for the trials fell away over time and by May of 1693, the governor of Massachusetts, William Phipps, had pardoned and released those imprisoned on charges of witchcraft. Maybe by then eating rye wasn't causing illness. What is the next infamous witch trial? That of Joan of Arc or St. Joan as she became in 1920, as she was considered to have died a martyr. She was convicted of being a witch by an English court in France in 1431 and was burned at the stake at the age of 19. This all happened during a Hundred Years' War, waged between the English house of Plantagenet against the French house of Valois. So who was Joan of Arc? The National Geographic History Magazine website provides a summary. Quote, Joan of Arc was born in 1412 in Dom Remy, a small village in northeastern France, near the border of the lands controlled by the English. From the age of 13, Joan claimed to have heard divine voices and seen visions of St. Michael, St. Catherine of Alexandria, and St. Margaret of Antioch. These divine messengers, she said, were urging her to go to the aid of the man who was the rightful king of France, Charles of Valois son of Charles VI, whom the English had disinherited." Unquote. Eventually, in 1429, she managed to be granted an audience with Charles of Valois. Is there a modern scientific explanation for Joan hearing voices and seeing visions? Illnesses such as epilepsy, migraine, tuberculosis, and schizophrenia have been suggested. The Ancient Origins website, an article from 2016, includes the following. Quote, two Italian neurologists, Giuseppe da Orsi and Piolo Tinuper, in a letter to the journal Epilepsy and Behaviour, said Joan may have had a condition called idiopathic partial epilepsy with auditory features. In other words, her epilepsy was caused by a, a genetic anomaly, uh, idiopathic, that affects just one part of the brain, unquote. But this is doubted by other researchers because hearing voices on a daily basis, as told by Joan to her inquisitors, would not fit with the disease. Hearing voices and seeing visions would probably have been a hard sell in a king's court. 
But Charles VI allegedly had a history of madness, so maybe his son Charles of Valois at least was familiar with, with strange behaviour. The National Geographic article continues, quote, Joan informed Charles that divine voices wished her to fight the English and that her participation would lead to his coronation at Rems, the sacred site where France's kings were crowned. After much examination, she won over Charles and his followers. They decided to put her to use at Orléans, a city under English siege. Support for La Pucelle, the maid, was galvanized later that year when Joan dressed as a warrior, liberated the city of Orléans, followed by more French victories. In June, French troops crushed the English at Pate, and in July, Charles VII was crowned in the Cathedral of Rheims in the presence of the young warrior prophet who had predicted the event." Unquote. She must have been by then a national hero. Surely they would have wanted to protect the young girl from harm after such a great success. Here's more from the National Geographic article. Quote, but the tide soon turned against Joan of Arc. Instead of expelling the English from France, Joan and her army then suffered several military setbacks. On May the 23rd, 1430, Joan was captured near Paris by the Duke of Burgundy's men, who later turned her, uh, turned her over to the English. Suddenly, her claims appeared weak. How could an envoy of God fall so easily into enemy hands? And if she hadn't been sent by God, who or what, else, what was she? The English and their allies among the French were in no doubt. Religious doubts about the sanctity of Joan of Arc blended seamlessly into high politics. If the voices she heard were diabolic, then her whole cause and the coronation of Charles VII itself had been the work of the devil." Unquote. So what happened at the trial? It would take a very long time to explain all the events, but here is a brief account from the History Channel website. Quote, in the trial that followed, Joan was ordered to answer some 70 charges against her, including witchcraft, heresy, and dressing like a man. The Anglo-Burgundians were aiming to get rid of the young leader as well as discredit Charles, who owed his coronation to her. In attempting to distance himself from an accused heretic and witch, the French king made no attempt to negotiate Joan's release. In May 1431, after a year in captivity and, and under threat of death, Joan relented and signed a confession denying that she had ever received divine guidance. Several days later, however, she, divide, she defied orders by again donning men's clothes and authorities pronounced her death sentence. On the morning of May the 30th at the age of 19, Joan was taken to the old marketplace of Rouen and burned at the stake." Unquote. Twenty years later, a new trial ordered by Charles VII resulted in clearing of all the charges that she was executed for. Let's move on to our last infamous trial. So far, we haven't made a connection between Halloween and which, and which trials? There is a connection in northeast England, Pendle Hill, which gets inundated with visitors every Halloween. You can go on a witch, tower, witch tour there if you want. But in Salem, Massachusetts, the entire month of October is dedicated to Halloween fun. There seems to be a trend. The people in the Salem area all had English names. Joan of Arc was put to death by the English in France. And now we are talking about alleged witchcraft in England. The Spanish Inquisition and other atrocities will have to wait for another episode, but the popular image of witches originated in England. 
from Shakespeare's play Macbeth from the early 17th, 17th century. Double, double, toil and trouble, fire burn and cauldron bubble. Chant the three witches as they attend to their boiling brew. So what is so special about Pendle Hill? The historic UK website provides some background. Quote, the extent of the spate of witchcraft reported in Pendle at this time perhaps reflected the large amounts of money people could make by posing as witches. Indeed, it was a time when witchcraft was not only feared, but also fascinated those from common village folk to King James I. James I had been generally, greatly interested in witchcraft even before he took the throne in 1603, writing a book, Demonology, instructing his readers to condemn and prosecute both supporters and practitioners of witchcraft. The skepticism of the king became reflected in the, feeling, in the feelings of unrest about witchcraft among the common people. The king's views were also impressed on, imposed on the law. Each justice of the peace in Lancashire at the beginning of the year of 1612 were instructed to compile a list of all those who refused to attend church or take communion, a criminal offence. Lancashire had been regarded as a wild and lawless society, possibly related to the general sympathy with the Catholic Church. During the dissolution of the monasteries, the people of Pendle Hill openly opposed the closure of the nearby Cistercian Abbey and reverted straight back to Catholicism when Queen Mary came to the throne in 1553. The region of Lancashire was thought of as where the church was honoured without much understanding of its doctrines by the common people. It was with this background of an ease that two judges made their investigations and sentenced the Pendle witches, unquote. So with that backdrop, what happened at Pendle? The Historic UK website provides a summary. The story began with an altercation between one of the, uh, the, one of the accused, Alison Device, and a peddler, John Law. Alison, either traveling or begging on the road to Trawden Forest, passed John Law and asked him for some pins. It is not known whether her intention was to pay for them or whether she was begging. He refused and Alison cursed him. It was a short while after this that John Law suffered a stroke, for which he blamed Alison and her powers. When this incident was brought before Justice Noel, Alison confessed that she had told the devil to lame John Law. It was upon further questioning that Alison accused her grandmother, Old Demdike, also members of the Chattox family of witchcraft. The accusations on the Chattox family seem to, be, seem to have been an act of revenge. The families have been feuding for years, perhaps since one of the Chattox family broke into Malcolm Tower, the home of the Demdikes, and stole goods to the value of one pounds, the approximately the equivalent of hundred pounds now. Furthermore, John Device, father of Alison, blamed the illness that led to his death on old Chattox, who had threatened to harm his family if they did not pay annually for their protection, unquote. A hundred pounds is about 140 United States dollars. What happened at the trial? Wikipedia provides a summary. Uh, the trial of the Pendle Witches in 1612 are among the most famous witch trials in English history and some of the best recorded of the 17th century. But I think we'll have to continue after the break, Justina. Yes, after this short break, we'll continue discussing what happened during the trials of Pendle. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the X-Zone Broadcast Network, www.xcpn.net.
So I was watching the X Zone TV channel last night when I was abducted by aliens, and they kept repeating to me over and over again, simultv.com, simultv.com. What's simultv.com? That's what I asked them. They had it written on the side of their UFO. How do you spell that? UFO. No, I mean simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Right. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Interesting that you were abducted by aliens in a simultv.com UFO last night. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Now that you mention it, I remember now last night, I was awakened from a deep sleep. My great-grandmother was standing there. She said she'd come from the hereafter to tell me about simultv.com. She even spelled it out for me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com, sonny boy. Wow. Yeah. Guys, you'll never guess what my psychic guru just told me. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Exactly. Are you guys psychic too? Of course. We all know about simultv.com. S-I-M-U-L-T-V.com. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God. And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is, For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back to Tea Goods Be True. Before the break, we're talking about the trials of the Pendle Witches. So, Dad, can you please continue with the Wikipedia quote? Sure. The 12 accused lived in the area surrounding Pendle Hill in Lancashire and were charged with the murders of 10 people by the use of witchcraft. All but two were tra- tried at Lancaster Assizes on the 18th and 19th of August 1612, along with the Samlesbury witches and others, in a series of trials that have become known as the Lancashire Witch Trials. One was tried at York Assizes on the 27th of July 1612, and another died in prison. Of the 11 who went on trial, went to trial rather, nine women and two men, two, 10 were found guilty and executed by hanging. One was found not guilty. The official publication of the proceedings by the clerk of the court, Thomas Potts, in his wonderful discovery of witches in the county of Lancaster and the number of witches hanged hang together, nine at Lancaster and one at York, made the trials unusual for England at that time. It has been estimated that all the English witch trials between the early 15th and early 18th centuries resulted in fewer than 500 executions. This series of trials accounts for more than 2% of that total. Apparently, the published proceedings of the trial were available to the colonists in the New World, and it is believed that this document was used in preparing for the trials of the witches of Salem, including the interrogation of children. Who were the Salmsbury witches? Wikipedia explains who they were. Quote, the Salmsbury witches were three women from the Lancashire village of Salmsbury. Jane Saworth, Jeanette Barley and Ellen Barley, accused by a 14-year-old girl, Grace Sarabuts, of practicing witchcraft. The article continues. 
The charges against the women included child murder and cannibalism. In contrast, the others tried at the same assizes, who included the Pendle witches, were accused of maleficium, causing harm by witchcraft. The case against the three women collapsed spectacularly when the chief prosecution witness, Grace Sarabuts, was exposed by the trial judge to be the perjuring tool of a Catholic priest, unquote. With that, what is the first question? Roughly how many women have been tortured or put to death based on being labeled as witches? In total, thousands. So there's been many in different cultures too. So when you add up all of the women together, there's been many different ones, not even the major ones that are thought of. Would the number be in the 10,000s? More than that, approximately 30,000. Roughly, how many of the witches accused were actually guilty of a crime that could, by today's standards, have justified criminal prosecution? So that's a difficult question to answer, since the laws are still very strange, where people can get prosecuted for smaller acts too. So some of the women were evil, you could say, to be charged with such a crime, such as petty theft, possibly assault, some small things like that. But in the overall scheme, a lot of the women did not commit any crimes, but instead were just labeled as weird or strange. And that's basically what their crime would be charged as, as being different. Do we have anything to fear from Wiccans, the practitioners of folk magic? No. What should we learn from Wiccans? That being different isn't always bad, so as long as it's being used in a positive manner and they're not harming themselves or others, then there shouldn't be this judgment that comes with it. Were any of the 200 accused in the Salem Witch Trials guilty of any offence that could have, by today's standards, justified criminal prosecution? Again, maybe small crimes such as petty theft. There were a couple of possible hate crimes, for example, but for the most part, no. They did not commit anything that would be, one, a criminal trial charge, and two, be able to be justified for killing someone. So of the 14 women and five men who were executed by hanging, they were pretty much innocent? Correct. Innocent especially that the crimes would be prosecuted in a different way, so hanging was very extreme. Why did Giles Corey giving his, give his life by being crushed or pressed to death or refusing to plead? Basically, because of the opinions were that there was no point. So there was no point in saying anything and in a way to show strength. How many people died in jail, presumably waiting for trial? A lot. So you could say approximately 40. Were these deaths by sickness or other causes due to being confined? Yes, and also means of not getting enough water, starvation, etc. Of the 12 women have been previously been executed in Massachusetts and Connecticut during the 17th century, how many were guilty of any offense? So again, maybe small things, but overall, that was only one or two. Why did Christian authorities between the years between 900 and 1400 refuse to acknowledge that witches existed, even though that was commonly believed? They were scared of the unknown. And some of the Christians saw things that they could not basically explain with their religion. So the unknown scared them. And so it was best just to ignore they existed. Why did in the year 1258 Pope Alexander IV issue a canon to prevent prosecution of people labeled as witches? Basically more acceptance of that there is this unknown. 
So you can think of it as even the unknown today where people do extraordinary things that aren't expected. So kind of the same opinion back then. By the year 1550, did competing Catholic and Protestant churches use witch trials as a battleground to win over or retain their followers? That could be said, yes. Is the number of 43,000 people tried for witchcraft in 21 European countries anywhere near the actual total for Europe? No, there's more. You mentioned 30,000 earlier. Was that 30,000 in addition to those that have been recorded? Correct. So were the economists in the Guardian newspaper article correct in saying that by making the people more fearful, churches would get more followers? That could be said, since the followers go to the church for a place where they feel safe, where there wasn't this unknown. So yes, in a way, the fear did help sense when the fear is instilled into people. They usually want to join some type of group for protection. Did witch trials peak between 1555 and 1650, the years during which Catholic officials countered Protestant successes in converting Catholics to the new ways of worshipping throughout much of Europe? Yes. Was the witch-hunting craze most intense where Catholic-Protestant rivalry was strongest? Yes. In the colonies, including Massachusetts and Connecticut, was there enough religious diversity to make it a battleground to increase the followers of a particular church? Yes, of course different groups of people and religion want as many followers as possible. In January 1692, did nine-year-old Betty Paris and 11-year-old Abigail Williams began having fits, including violent contortions and uncontrollable outbursts of screaming. That could be said. So yes, they did have outbursts that they were scaring the people around them. Why did local doctor William Griggs diagnose bewitchment? Because he didn't know what was wrong, so the education was not at the level where it could be understood that there's other issues. So there are sometimes other physical explanations or even mental health explanations. But at the time, the doctors did not have much knowledge. Why did other girls or women exhibit similar symptoms? Why weren't males affected? Basically, since it was something that was more mental health related, which is more common in females. So it wasn't just that in that area. It was more common and it could occur in males too, but it wasn't recorded. Why were the homeless beggar Sarah Good and the poor elderly Sarah Osborne accused of bewitchment, bewitchment sorry, by some of the girls accused of being witches? Basically because they were scared, and if they turned more people in, then they would go free. Was the summer of 1691 remarkably rainy and wet? Yes. Did a f- type of fungus, ergot, grow on the rye crop? Yes. Were the girls who believed that they were being taunted by witches actually under the effects of a common grain fungus? Some of them, yes. Some others had other medical issues. Were Betty Paris and Abigail Williams merely under the influence of a naturally created drug similar to LSD? That could be said along with amplifying any other medical, mental and physical issues they had. So you can think of it as kind of all the wrong ingredients coming together to cause their strange behavior. Why were presuming the same diet were males less affected? Again, it amplifies other issues. So some of the males were affected, but it just wasn't recorded or seen as odd with them. So with any drug, it affects each person differently. 
Why, besides hysteria, were there 20 more accused in April of 1692, including the Reverend George Burroughs? Basically just pointing fingers. So you can think of it as kind of a game of telephone, where one person says someone is a witch, then the next person's a witch, and so on. And eventually, there are all these people that are said to be witches. So anyone that was different or not very much liked was chosen. And you can think of it as a group of people just kind of choosing the people that they thought weren't fitting in as well. Why did public support for the trials fall away over time until May of 1693, when the governor of Massachusetts pardoned and released those imprisoned for witchcraft? Because people were becoming more to their senses. So they realized that it was unfair to kill people for something that isn't even proven to be real. So the, the idea of being a witch was becoming less common and more of a folklore, you could say. I think we've got time for one more question before the break. Had the rye crop become less infected by Urgot by 1693? Yes and no. It was still here and there, but the diets were more broad, you could say, too, at the later years. But we'll have to continue with the questions and the psychic insight about infamous witch trials after the short break. And you're listening to Too Good to Be True with Justina Marsh and Pete Marsh on the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xcbn.net. skeptic or a believer join me rob mcconnell as together we'll investigate the world of the paranormal and the science of parapsychology here on the exxon radio tv show on xzbn and the exxon tv channel on simul tv since 1990 the exxon radio tv show has been the place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard together we'll investigate ufos aliens ghosts bigfoot psychic phenomenon, lake monsters, conspiracy theories, government cover-ups, the truth embargo, alien abductions, ESP, haunted locations from around the world, and so much more. With over 28 years of broadcasting and more than 4,500 individual guests, the X-Zone is truly a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality, as evidenced by the credibility, integrity, and professionalism of the guests that we bring to our international audience. If you have seen a UFO, had a close encounter, seen a ghost, Bigfoot, lake monster, or a story that you would like to share or have investigated, contact me, Rob McConnell, by sending me your email to xzone at xzoneradiotv.com or you can call toll-free 1-800-610-7035, extension 143, and on Skype, X-Zone Radio TV. For more information on the X-Zone Radio TV show with yours truly, Rob McConnell, visit www.xzoneradiotv.com or www.xzonetvchannel.com or simultv.com and xzbn.net. Until next we meet here in the X-Zone from our broadcast center and studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Always remember X-Zone Nation, 
keep your eyes to the sky and your heart in the light. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simul TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, sci-fi and horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Welcome back to Too Good to Be True. And before the break, we are going through the questions and the psychic insight about infamous witch trials. So, Dad, can you please continue with the questions? Sure. Changed, changing the subject to Joan of Arc, did Joan hear divine voices from the age of 13? Yes. Did the divine voices urge Joan to go to the aid of Charles of Valois, son of Charles VI, whom the English had disinherited from being king of France? Yes. Did Joan see visions of St. Michael, St. Catherine of Alexandria, and St. Margaret of Antioch? That could be said. Did Joan have a, have a condition called idiopathic partial epilepsy with auditory features? Yes. Was there any other medical condition that Joan may have had that ex explained her hearing voices and seeing visions? No. Why did Joan have idiopathic partial epilepsy with auditory features? Basically, it was just something that they are born with. So that was how it was meant to be. So it was what was planned. There was not really a full explanation. It was just what it was. How often did Joan hear voices and see visions? Almost all of the time. Did Joan inform Charles that divine voices wished her to fight the English and that her participation would lead to his coronation at Rams? Yes. How did um, Joan win over Charles and his followers to her point of view? Basically, she had a solid point. So they believe she's actually seeing the different spiritual figures and that she had some great, very great ability. How did Joan inspire the French troops to liberate the city of Orléans and crush the English at Patay, among other victories? Basically, by the leadership skills. So being able to be very convincing and using these visions and voices to help back up her points. And in the end, it was a good option for a lot of people and the right thing to do. Was the cr crowning of Charles VII in the Cathedral of Rheims partially through divine intervention? It was just how the time and event should have occurred, though one could say that. After the initial successes, why, even with Joan's help, did the French suffer military setbacks? Just again, the timeline of events, so things just lined up kind of like a domino effect. 
How was Joan captured near Paris by the Duke of Burgundy's men on May the 23rd, 1430? Basically, again, that was just part of the timeline of events, so the capture was necessary. What did the Duke of Burgundy gain by handing Joan over to the English? You can think of it as kind of a bargaining tool. I don't understand why the Duke of Burgundy would be on the side of the English, with Burgundy being part of France. There must be a, a historical reason for the alliance. There was more bargaining and plans behind the scenes, where what was seen to the public wasn't actually what was going on behind the scenes. So this could be described as a form of politics? Correct. Why were the politics of accusing Joan of witchcraft favoured over using her as a hostage and gaining an advantage from her capture? Some people actually thought she was a witch, so there, again, was this fear that she had abilities that weren't fully understood. Why did the French make no attempt to negotiate Joan's release from the English, especially as her conviction might discredit the French king in the eyes of the public? Basically just making the right choice in their minds. So they wanted to play the cards bright so they could accomplish what they wanted. So after a while, Joan of Arc wasn't really what they needed or wanted anymore. What? Why among the alleged offenses, offenses including heresy and witchcraft, was a woman dressing as a man included as an offence committed by Joan? They accused her of doing that. So in those times, it was something very offensive and something that could lead to even harsher punishment. Why did, in May of 1431, after captivity under threat of death, did Joan sign a confession denying that she had ever received divine guidance? Again, part of how everything played out. So it was easier to sign that than basically tell what was actually going on. So it was basically what she vouched for herself. Why did Joan defy orders by wearing men's clothes for the authorities to pronounce her death sentence? Just to make a political point, you could say. So to show everyone that she's not afraid. Why did Charles VII only stand up for Joan 20 years later when a new trial cleared her of the charges that she was executed for? Again, different political power plays. Why did Joan become a saint and a French national icon in the 1920s? For all the work she did. So if it wasn't for her, there would not have been many different timelines of events for the French and English in the war between them. Changing subject to the witches of Pendle. In the 16th and 17th centuries, were large amounts of money being made by people posing as witches? Yes. In that era, was witchcraft feared but a fascination for much of the population? Correct, the fascination of the unknown. Did the writings of King James I build unrest and initiate willingness to condemn and pro prosecute alleged witches? Yes and no, so for some, yes. Was the focus on the county of Lancashire, including Pendle, out of fear or out of politics or a combination of the two? Both. Did Alison Device curse the peddler, sorry, the peddler, John Law, when he did, would not give her pins? Yes. Did the stroke suffered by John Law have anything to do with Alison Device? No. Did Alison actually try to tell the devil to lame John? No. Why did Alison accuse her grandmother, Old Demdike, and members of the Chaddox family of witchcraft? Basically, to try to get revenge on them. Did Alison's father blame the illness that led to his death on old Chaddox, who had threatened to harm his family 
if they did not pay annually for their protection. Yes. In the 1612 trials of the 11 alleged Pendle witches accused of the murders of 10 people by the use of witchcraft, were any of the accused actually guilty of any serious offence? Again, many, maybe petty crimes here and there, but overall, no serious offences. Why did one of the 12 accused die while in prison while another was not found guilty? The one that died died of illness, and basically the one found not guilty was because they had some more connections. Was the official publication of the proceedings of the Lancashire Witch Trials later used in preparing for trials of the witches of Salem, including the interrogation of children? Yes. What can we learn from the Salem Witch Trials, the life and death of Joan of Arc, and from the trials of the witches of Pendle? That just because someone's different doesn't mean that they deserve to be pointed out, called nasty names, or feared. And what really can be illustrated is that some people's lives are more valued than others. So, for example, in the Salem Witch Trials, the people that were accused were valued less than the people around them. So humans, in a way, think that they have this power and this power to choose who lives and dies. And that's something that can be seen throughout history. But choosing a death penalty or choosing to kill someone else is something that needs to be really thought of. So each person has their own morals and ethics about murder and the death penalty and everything like that. However, when deciding if someone deserves this, there needs to be a group of people coming together with their opinions. So you can think of it in a kind of a way where these all illustrate that even today, some innocent people get punished for something they didn't do for various reasons, and including being different. That was the last answer. In the future, is being different and not being mistreated too good to be true? That depends on what you are prepared to believe. Well, this week, uh, I didn't expect to have such a political discussion. I found that rather surprising. Uh, I guess I knew there was a little bit of politics or a lot of politics regarding Joan of Arc, and I never really understood what was going on. But I never realized that uh, the famous witch hunts uh, seemed to be all about politics. I think my major takeaway from this episode was that some people were punished for just being different so maybe they had a medical condition maybe they were acting strange but just because they weren't the same as other people or stood out in their own way they were actually punished for it and I think the other point I took away was that especially in these witch trials there was a few people who decided who lived and who died yeah okay with that I think uh, you should mention the Facebook page and uh, the website and uh, ask for some new ideas yes so the listeners can go to our facebook page at too good to be true with the first two spelled t-w-o or our website at too good to be true.net and you can send us suggestions you can leave comments on today's show and we'd love to hear from any of the listeners who have any suggestions so if you want content like this where it's about more of a political i guess topic which was originally a halloween topic then please write to us or if you want any type of topic that you can think of we love doing listener suggestions yes and uh I think uh, there's other topics we can look at. We've never really looked at any good conspiracy theory. So uh, one of those as a suggestion would be a nice change. And I was just thinking uh, years ago at Halloween, one of the favorite uh, 
uh, costumes or masks was uh, was looking like Richard Nixon. So maybe there is a political connection with um, with Halloween. Well, we want to wish everyone a safe and happy Halloween since that is coming up. And we also want to say thank you to each and every listener that we appreciate you guys so much. We look forward to suggestions. And as always, we look forward to next week's show. If you are looking for a safe, zero-calorie, natural option to the harmful artificial sweeteners on the market today, Just Like Sugar is what you're looking for. Just Like Sugar is a wonderful natural alternative for those health-conscious people who choose a calorie-restricted diet with a great, pure, sweet flavor that tastes just like sugar. Just Like Sugar is a great natural option for people suffering from diabetes and may be useful in restricted diet programs where standard sugars are not allowed and does not cause a laxative effect of some other sweeteners. Just Like Sugar comprises a perfect blend of chicory root fiber, natural calcium, natural vitamin C, and Just Like Sugar sweetness comes from the natural flavors from the peel of the orange. Just Like Sugar is a natural alternative to harmful artificial sweeteners and will change the way that you believe all natural sweetener products taste. Just Like Sugar is available at your local Whole Foods markets, Wild Oats markets, Henry's, Sun Harvest, and many other fine natural food stores in the U.S., Canada, and worldwide. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is Simul TV. Simul TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, Sci-Fi, and Horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213 
401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Thank you.